Okay, so let's get the mood started here. Imagine it. The coffee machine is bubbling and gurgling away in the corner. There's wood in the hearth and I'm really going to need to figure out how to light it because autumn weather has definitely shown up to the party. The smell of musty paper and the subtle sweetness of vanilla is in the air and you're gathered with some of your closest book friends to talk about your latest find. I'm Ray and welcome to another episode of Not Before Coffee, The Bookshop, where I talk about my most recent reads and hopefully encourage you to pick up a copy. It's time for that Goodreads update. Unfortunately, though I had time last week for a little bit more reading, I was mentally girding myself to start a new job, so I was more distracted than usual. All this means is that I am still behind on my challenge reading, but I am enjoying it, and if I'm honest, that is actually more important. If I am reading solely to get a high number, then I'm doing it for all the wrong reasons. So while my intended number wasn't that high, and I am way behind on that particular ambition, I am enjoying the books I'm reading, though some are a little bit dark and different to the books I would often pick up. It's an experience, and if I'm having a good experience, then it's worthwhile in the end, right? This week I am actually reading a book by new author number 14. Pretty good, right? So perhaps that should continue to be my personal challenge. If I reach 20 new authors by the end of the year, I will most definitely have broadened my horizons significantly. I am heading off on another adventure with a book that caught my eye when it was first released in June 2021. Yes, it's taken me a few months to get around to it. But seriously, if you had just a glimpse of the to-be-read list on my Kindle, you'd be wondering about my schedule for the next couple of years. When I was really young, my mum used to always tell me and my brother and sister the same story over and over, though bits did change over time. A tale of the little boy who never grew up. She told us about his friends, Tinkerbell and Tiger Lily, and about all of his adventures battling against the evil Captain Hook. For years, she regaled us with these bedtime stories, talking about her brother, Peter Pan. And for years, I believed her. After all, who doesn't want to believe in fairy tales? My latest read, Wendy Darling, the debut novel from A.C. Wise, twists every single Peter Pan story on its head. Find the second star from the right and fly straight on till morning. All the way to Neverland, a children's paradise with no rules, no adults, only endless adventure and enchanted forests all led by the charismatic boy who will never grow old. But Wendy Darling grew up. She has a husband and a young daughter called Jane, a life in London. But one night after all these years, Peter Pan returns. Wendy finds him outside her daughter's window, looking to claim a new mother for his lost boys. But instead of Wendy, he takes Jane. Now a grown woman, a mother, a patient and a survivor, Wendy must follow Peter back to Neverland to rescue her daughter and finally face the darkness at the heart of the island. When I started to read this book, I thought I was going to be getting a bit of a spin on Hook. I have to be honest, I saw the title and the recommendation that this book was for anyone who had loved Circe, 
which you all know by now I would recommend until my tongue fell out, and after that would continue to leave post-it notes covered in the same recommendations. And I just had to pick the book up. Oh boy, was I so very, very wrong in my belief that it was going to be a light and gentle tale that perhaps occasionally reduced me to tears. Wendy Darling paints a very different picture of what happens after Happily Ever After. It has been done before, several times, in novels such as Lost Boy by Christina Henry, but in each of these books the focus was always on Peter and his adventures, good or bad. Wendy Darling is, as the title pretty clearly suggests, all about Wendy, about the woman she becomes and how she gets there. One thing I noticed when I first considered the book was that it was apparently a feminist retelling. I noticed a few elements that, considering the era the novel is based in, the early 20th century, are definitely messages of independence and female autonomy. But my take home when I finished the book was that not everything is as it seems. The book begins with a grown-up Wendy waking up in the middle of the night with the feeling that something in her home is very wrong. She rushes to her young daughter's bedroom and after a brief conversation with her childhood friend, watches as he dismisses her for being an adult and then snatches her young daughter Jane from her bed before whisking her away to Neverland. Peter's return to Wendy's life forces her to revisit several episodes that are incredibly painful. Unlike her younger brothers, John and Michael, Wendy found it really difficult to move on from her experiences in Neverland. When she returned to her home, to her family after all her adventures, things quickly changed. Their parents died in the Titanic tragedy and Michael joined the army to fight in World War I. He came back a man swallowed up by his experiences and tormented by the memory of those who didn't survive. While her brothers have purpose to keep them busy, Wendy is almost left to languish in the memories of her childhood, of the adventures in Neverland, her friendship with Peter, with Tiger Lily. She is consumed by them. These memories are the centre of her life, and when John is no longer able to cope with her constant demands that he must remember their adventures, he has her admitted to St Bernadette's, a place where her brother believes she will get the help she really needs. If you've ever done research into the sort of mental health care and facilities that were around in the early 1900s, or even mid-1900s for that matter, then you'll know that Wendy's experience is anything other than pleasant. She's beaten, bullied and tortured by the orderlies, and if she were really as ill as some of the patients, then she would never actually get well. In fact, mental health facilities during the early 1900s, the time in which Wendy Darling is based, could be seen as pretty horrific, with the introduction of experimental therapies that were most often incredibly harmful to the people they were meant to be helping. I actually used to work in the mental health field, though I was already being treated, and I use that term loosely, for mental health issues myself. And as part of that, I was often required to review things like the Mental Health Act and legal methods of detainment for patients in our facility involuntarily. This sort of research often led me down a bit of a rabbit hole, checking out various medical sites, the Science Museum, and other places where information about different treatments was available. Did you know, for example, that the first lobotomy wasn't performed until 1935? I always thought that these treatments were much older. A torturous operation believed to be a cure for various mental ailments surely was introduced more than 40 years before my birth, right? Wrong. 
Anyway, I'm getting off track here. Needless to say, Wendy's memories of the time she spent in St Bernadette's are consumed by waterboarding, physical and mental abuse and punishments that her brother is unknowingly paying for, as St Bernadette's is actually a private facility. Though her time in the asylum is horrific, something good did come from it. She built strong bonds with a girl called Mary who reminded her, in the beginning at least, of Tiger Lily. Mary was admitted to St Bernadette's by her stepfather's second wife after it was decided they didn't want a Native American girl sullying their lives. Interspersed with Wendy's past experiences at St Bernadette's are snippets of her memories of her time in Neverland with Peter and the Lost Boys. These memories, however, are less than pleasant, as she sees many of them now as the adult she has become, and this gives many of those memories a much darker slant. The more I read of the book, the more I felt dread building in the pit of my stomach, as anticipation continued to grow, taking me closer to the core of the plot. It appears that while Wendy was living the adventure and enjoying the freedom of Neverland, Peter shared a secret with her that she can now only see the edges of, but the full truth is lost, forever out of her grasp. The police have been called to search for Jane, of course they have, but Wendy knows the truth, that no one will be able to find her daughter except for her. There were moments while I read this book that I was drawn in by the action, but with every single memory that Wendy pulled out of the recesses of her brain, every single thing she finally allowed herself to recall, I just knew that things were not going to be all sweetness and light. Whatever Peter revealed, whatever he was hiding in Neverland was not going to be all butterflies and sunshine. At least not the type I remembered from the tales that my mum told me or the tales that the Disney film portrayed. Before I reached the big reveal, I very nearly went and dug out my copy of Peter Pan. It was actually one of the books I covered as part of my degree. There was a children's literature module that took up way way longer than I expected, but I did manage to resist. I have to judge a book on its own merits. Part of me started to wonder if we weren't in some kind of lost situation when it came to Neverland, especially when it appeared that Wendy was about to commit suicide in an attempt to rescue her daughter, jumping off a window ledge. But even as an adult, she is able to fly. It's when Wendy arrives in Neverland that things start to become even clearer. Nothing is ever as it seems, and as I walked along the beach and through the woods with Wendy as she searched the island for Jane and Peter, it was apparent that things had changed. A lot. The grotto where the mermaids once frolicked was full of skeletons, the woods so lacking in life that it developed an eerie and somewhat sinister atmosphere. Wendy's travels across Neverland combine almost seamlessly with her experiences in the asylum and the events that led to her current situation, that of a woman married with a young child. Her life has never been simple, despite being the only daughter of a relatively well-to-do family. The events that led to her marriage to Ned were not the kind that a young girl dreams of when considering romance. When marriage is presented to her as an option, it's not a choice anyone should have to make. I thought you would be happy, even if, even if you think you don't want to marry. Surely it would be better than being in this place, wouldn't it? There's an earnestness to his expression. Isn't marriage and motherhood what every woman wants? He believes he's giving her a gift. 
As with many men who bartered their daughters, sisters, cousins for better business, improved social position, John has no idea the sort of man he is essentially selling his sister to. But luckily for Wendy, her husband-to-be has secrets of his own. And he is just as much at the mercy of his father, a decidedly unlikable corporate industrialist, as Wendy is to her brother. Well, let's move away from the history lesson and my opinion of marriage as a bartering tool where women are treated as chattel during earlier centuries. Oh, <laughs> look, a feminist theme, though now the entire wedding market seems to be far more in a woman's favour. Wendy moves closer to the centre of the island and as she does, she starts to remember more. And these memories are more horrifying and far more painful than any of her experiences in the asylum. All the while I was reading about Wendy, there were four separate storylines that intertwined almost faultlessly. Wendy's past in Neverland, her experiences in St Bernadette's, her present in Neverland, and finally, Jane's own experiences. Unlike her mother, who actually chose to join Peter in Neverland when he first came to her, Jane is his hostage, and he is doing his utmost to persuade her to stay, but not by being nice. Through Jane's eyes, he is vicious, mean, and he is drugging her. She is starting to lose pieces of herself, including her own name, as she is his mother, the carer. She is, as he refers to her, the new Wendy. Whatever it is that Peter is hiding or protecting, it's at the centre of Neverland, and he will do anything to stop anyone from finding out what it is. And it's during the rush to the finish that all the dirty laundry is hung out to dry, and not in a good way. I'm trying so hard here not to reveal the ending, as I honestly believe that spoilers are the devil, especially with a brand new novel. So I'm going to leave you with this line. When I spoke with my mum on Saturday, I told her that I had just finished a book that I would never recommend to her. I said that specifically. I then expanded upon the plot a little, and before I got two lines in, she stopped me and told me she didn't even want to know the title of the book. Make of that what you will. Did I enjoy it? In a strange way, I did. Did it decimate my childhood memories? Well, it made a good attempt. Was it a little darker than I had expected? Yes, but it also looked into subjects I hadn't thought about in a while, such as mental health care and how far we've come in less than 100 years, and how far we still have to go. Did it have a different angle to other books along a similar theme? Yes, it looked at everything through the eyes of Wendy, who was always left behind when Peter and the boys went into battle. I have to say that one of the lines in the book really resonated with me. But the world already makes too much room for boys like Peter. Boys who, under normal circumstances, grow up to be men like Ned's father, who start wars and send boys like Michael home broken. Will I read it again? Probably not for a long while. There are some books I can read over and over again because the big twist isn't one that will be ruined if I remember it. I want to be able to read this again as if for the first time. And I think that's how it has the biggest impact. Would I recommend it to other readers? This is a debut novel written in a way that is absorbing. I picked up the book on Tuesday evening and before I knew it, I was 40% of the way in. It was gone midnight and I was absolutely absorbed. I read the rest of it over Wednesday afternoon and there were so many twists and turns that I just couldn't put it down. 
This is the sort of book that you need to be in the right frame of mind for. It's not horror, but it is a story that digs at childhood memories, especially if you grew up on stories of Peter Pan, as I did. But I didn't put it down and find myself left with a horrid taste in my mouth. I would definitely recommend it if you love the sort of book that twists a fairy tale into something else or looks at it from a different perspective. It really is well done. I'm going to be back on Thursday with a review of a 2014 romantic comedy. I'm really looking forward to talking about it as it proved to be quite a fun watch. Well, the last cup has gone in the dishwasher, the closed sign has been turned around, so it's time to end this another episode of The Bookshop. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll come back again for more. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or give the show a star rating over on Podchaser. No feedback is bad feedback if it's constructive. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at notbeforecoffeepodcast. I have to go and pick out another book from the shelf or from my Kindle for next week and settle down with another cup of coffee. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>